0: All of you here today. Today, we are in the third week of our four week series on a God for all people, a God who loves having, catching God's heart for justice and diversity. And so, we talked the first week about God as a God of justice and how he cares about injustice, and so should we. And then, we talked the next week, last week, about diversity, about how God loves diversity. He's created us all so different and unique, and he loves the diversity of his people, wants us to love it too. And I will tell you that I know that these have not been the easiest sermons, that they have, there's been a little bit of heaviness about them, they're a little bit serious, um, and so I, I understand that. I want to thank you for kind of hanging with. Uh, we're, we're, we're hopefully learning something. We're letting our hearts be touched and softened just a little bit, and um, I'm going to warn you that we're going to go one deeper today, okay, because we're talking about lament, but I promise you, next week we'll come back up and get a little more cheerful, okay? So um, hold with me today. But this is such an important third piece of the puzzle because while we want to be writing injustices and we want to, we want to welcome one another, there are still, there's still injustice and there's still hardship and there's still suffering, and we need to learn to lament the healing response to injustice and suffering. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today, how we can have this kind of result, response because there is power in lament, There's a power in it. I ask you, if you have a friend come up to you and tell you something kind of sad that's going on in your life, and then they suddenly just burst into tears. They're just sobbing in front of you. Generally speaking, unless you're very uh, good at this sort of thing, generally speaking, you just hope that they stop crying. (laughs) right? I mean, you know, it's just very uncomfortable to have someone sobbing in front of you. And so you try to say something comforting. You try to say something nice because you just want them to feel better. You want them to smile again. You like the smile. You don't like the crying. And, uh, and so you just want to make them feel better. And so sometimes our first impulse is just to say something positive, like, it's not so bad. It's going to be okay. We'll fix this. And this is why sometimes we say things like, it's okay. They're in heaven now. It's all right. And or, you know, you can always get another dog, (laughs) or the things we say, right? (laughs) And you're all, you know, like, shuddering because you know, and maybe you've gone through something, and people have said things like that, well-meaning people that want to help and want to make you feel better, and you know that when you say stuff like that, it doesn't make you feel better, does it? It doesn't make you feel better. and In fact, sometimes it makes you feel worse. Sometimes the best thing to do for someone who's upset, who's grieving, who's crying, who's sad, is simply just to be with them, right? Just to come alongside them, maybe cry with them, but at least just sit with them and tell them, yeah, this situation's terrible. It's awful. It shouldn't have happened. I'm so sorry. And just love them. Just be there with them. That's the most comforting thing you can do. That's lament. That's lament. Coming along some, someone beside someone with comfort. There's an interesting book named White Awake by Daniel Hill, and he tells an interesting story about going to a retreat with some Christian leaders, and the purpose of the retreat was to talk about justice issues, and part of it particularly was to talk about the challenges that people of color face in our world because of racism. So it was a serious conversation, but they had a lot of sharing, a lot of discussion, a lot of, this has been my experience, and there was a lot of sharing of hearts and understanding and listening, and it was a great, great meeting And toward the end of the meeting, one of the white pastors said, I'm heartbroken by what I'm hearing. What can I do? Tell me what I can do. See, he wanted to do something to fix it, as a, you know, either himself personally at his church. He wanted to be able to fix the thing. Um, this is very, very American of us, right? We like to fix things. We believe if anybody's sick, there should be a pill for it, right? Or if something's wrong, we should create something to fix it. We always want to fix things. It's a really good quality. But he was very surprised by the answer that came back to him from the non-white pastors there. What they said is, what we really want you to do is lament. We just want you to lament. And he was like, you know, how, what kind of response is that? How does that do anything? What, what's the good of that? It seems like it's not really a sufficient response to, to this. We're supposed to do something, right? We're people of action. James says, be doers of the word, right? Not just listeners, but doers of the word. Um, we're supposed to do more than that, aren't we? But in the time of suffering, before the fixing, before the doing, they asked for lament. What is lament? Lament is crying with someone. Sitting with someone in their sadness and grief, walking alongside them and in this way helping them to carry the burden of their sorrow to the feet of Jesus. It's a powerful and healing response to suffering and injustice, and we need to learn about it. It's a strong biblical concept, but it's interesting. You don't hear it talked about that much in the evangelical Christian church. Why? Because we're victory people, right? We like to say, praise the Lord. We like to know that the answers to the prayer came, that the person was healed. That's what we like to talk about. Um, That's what people post on, on, on Facebook with a hashtag blessed, right? That, you know, everything's going well. We don't really like to talk about the sad stuff. And in fact, um, it sometimes even seems faithless to acknowledge that there's some things that are just bad. that are not right. Um, they may never even get fixed, some of these bad things. And we, it feels like faithless, right, for us to say such things. But you know what? It's true. <laughs> it's true that there's some things in life that just won't get fixed on this side of heaven. Everything's going to get fixed in heaven, praise God. <laughs> And so, while we know that God can solve anything, sometimes He chooses not to, and sometimes there's still injustice, suffering is real, and it does no good to wish it away, to praise the Lord it away. This is why lament is so important. I think we miss out on the whole range of human connection and healing if we don't learn to lament. I think we gotta to learn to lament a little bit, all right? So this is what we're going to do today. Again, again, it's sort of a different kind of topic, but um, I think you're going to find it interesting. This is, this is how, you know, when we sit with a grieving person, we, we do hope that they will come to a place eventually of joy and of hope and of, of happiness in their life, but, but there's a journey part to this, right? We have to sit with someone through their sorrowing, through their suffering, and when they know that someone is suffering with them, someone is sorrowing with them, it makes all the difference in the world, right? So we're gonna talk about lament. Lament is a scriptural concept. I want to talk about what the scripture talks says about it. There's a famous passage in Ecclesiastes that you all know that really is, is the basis for what I'm talking about. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. That's a call to lament as well as to rejoice. There's an entire book of the Bible. What's it called? Lamentations, you know where I was going with that, I mean it's, that's, the whole book is a lament, Jeremiah is just crying out over and over, there's a couple of like positive scriptures in there, but not so many, it's mostly a cry, because of the way Israel has ended up in exile, There's a haunting verse from the Psalms that gives us this perspective of the Israelites who lost everything and they were taken off into exile in Babylon, all right? And this, I love this Psalm, but it really speaks to me of lament. Psalm 137, 1-4, it says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. See, they've been ripped out of Zion, their homeland, and now they're in Babylon in captivity. They wept. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked for us, us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. I think it's so interesting. This is what happens when we demand that people say praise the Lord and sing praise songs when that's not where they are. It's torment. I thought that was so fascinating. Their response, how, how can we sing the songs of our Lord while in a foreign land? If you want another psalm of Lament, Psalm eighty-eight, eighteen. the psalmist says, darkness is my closest friend. Read Psalm 88, it's quite interesting, that's how it ends. Not even a positive uplift on that psalm, that's, that's how it ends. So what this is teaching us is that it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to not always be in the mood to sing a praise song, okay? I know we just got a new you know, worship leader here today. She wants you to praise. She wants you to lift up your heart to the Lord. But there's going to be moments when you simply can't praise. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian or that you don't love God. It just means that your heart is in mourning. When your heart is in mourning, it's okay. God is there with you in that. He gets that. He gets that. Bunch of times over my Christian life, I've thought of, you know, going through the book of Psalms because as a kind of a devotional, and it's a great thing to do, um, but I always mistakenly think, oh, it's going to be all about praise. It's going to be fun, you know, praise the Lord, shout the timbrel and dancing and all this stuff, and then I get into it, and it's just a couple Psalms in, right, and it's just, it gets so dreary, you know, he's like mad at God, and I'm sinking down in the Mari pit, and everything's against me, and, and I think, oh, I forgot about this part of Psalms, <laughs> And I don't know if you're like me, but I kind of want to skip those ones. I want to get to the, the positive ones. That's, that just shows my own, my own theological lack, right? My own lack of understanding of the value of lament and of, and of sorrowing. So I just want to make sure that we recognize that it's never um, never feel that as a Christian you're always supposed to have a happy face on. That mourning and lamenting is okay. And actually, one of the ways... We can bring healing to one another is to mourn together, to lament together. So let's start with God. God laments with you. He doesn't ask us to do something He doesn't already do. We don't lament alone. He cries. God cries. Isn't that interesting? If you think you're tough and strong today because you don't cry, I'm telling you, there's one much tougher and stronger than you who cries. And he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of it. He weeps. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures about that. God wept over Jerusalem knowing what terrible things were coming to them. In Luke 19:41, Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build on an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. Jesus also wept for himself and for his people as he faced what was coming to him. So he wept. Hebrews 5, 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So Jesus cried even over his own situation. And then this one is so dear, where he wept because he was moved by the the mourning and the tears of others. John 11, when Lazarus died... Mary, He says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see my Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Now, every good Sunday school kid knows that's the shortest you know, verse of the Bible, right? You want to memorize a verse? It's Jesus wept, okay? Anybody ask you what a verse of the Bible is, you just say that Jesus wept. But we tend to think about that in terms of Jesus weeping because his friend died, which is probably true. I'm sure his heart was, was, was torn with that. But it says here in the scripture that actually what got him going first, you know, something gets you started, right? Gets you, gets you starting to get emotional and then, then you finally burst out of tears. What got him started was seeing people weeping, seeing other people weeping, Seeing Mary weep, seeing the Jews with her weeping, and he was deeply moved, it says, in spirit and troubled. That's what got his emotions going, and then he wept. So we don't lament alone, all right? God, We have a God who weeps with us and for us. He cares deeply about what is hurting you, what is troubling you, the injustices perhaps that you have suffered. He cares. Read Psalm 56:8. Can you keep track of all my sorrows, God? You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Love that image. There's a bottle up in heaven with your tears in it. You've recorded each one in your book. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I think we just sang that. So it's an important fact about God that he sees our sadness and our sorrows. And where there's oppression and where there's suffering, he's not only angry about the injustice, but he also weeps with us. He's also sad about it with us. So we can be sad as well. It's not surprising. God's asking us to be like him. Okay, so let's go to Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is a command to you and to me. So we're meant to be rejoicers. We need to rejoice with each other. When things are going great, we need to lift each other up and give each other hope. But we also need to weep with those who weep. Be ready to hear and feel others' pain. And here's where it gets interesting. It's much easier, isn't it, to weep with someone when you get what they're going through, when it's part of your experience too, when it kind of touches your heart. I used to be able to watch any kind of movie about a kid, something bad happening to children, until I had my own children, and then suddenly now I can't watch any of those anymore. It just makes me weep, right? So because now it's my experience to be a parent, I can't watch that sort of thing anymore. See, that's why we need to have more experience. That's in, in one way why I talked about diversity last week before talking about lament. Because until we have a wider pool of people and experiences that we are hearing from, people who we are hearing from and what they're going through, what you go through, it's very different from what I go through. And so by, until we have a wider pool of people, a diverse pool of people with whom we are friends, whom we love, who we've served with, who we listen to, we will not be able to weep with those who weep. Because we'll only get our own little experience. We, don't, we won't feel what they're feeling. We have no idea the, the, the difficulty it is to have a physical disability in this world and to get around. Until you break your leg, and you're stuck with, on crutches, and you have to get around, and you get, you get to a store, and you realize, oh, no, i got to find the elevator because I can't do the escalator <laughs> with these crutches. And you find out that the elevator, where's the elevator always? Like on the far end of the store, in a little crummy little little hallway, you know, there's the elevator, right? It's way off on the side. Women with strollers know this too, by the way. But, but you know, that you don't understand that until you've experienced it. Right? That's why we have to have those uh, friends and experiences with other people. Similarly, if you live only in a white neighborhood and you have only white friends you will never know the, the difficulty it is to be a black family and to know that you're facing racism in your community, racism in our world. You don't know if you have not experienced it. In fact, you may even doubt it exists. You might say, oh, well, I know that's an exaggeration. I, you know, I don't think it's as bad as all that. We won't grieve and weep when we hear things on the news. They won't, it won't move us in the same way. We won't weep because we don't know or understand the reality of it. In that book White Awake Daniel Hill puts it this way and this really it's really convicted me he said suffering from racism as a black person is made even worse when white people seem completely unaware. He says it's like we're at a funeral but where are the white members of the family? It convicts me. It convicts me. I want to know you. I want to know each person and where where their heart is is hurting and understand it and feel it with you so I can weep with those who weep. Amen? We want to be people who can weep with people who weep. Weeping with you when you weep requires that I know you, that I care about you, that I believe you and listen to you. It means I may not fully understand your pain. I may not have experienced it, but because you did, I care about that. Does that make sense, church? That makes sense this morning. An example of this, another example of this came up at a discussion we had last, um, last week after the service on diversity. We were talking about that, and we talked about um, how parents have to give their children the talk. And um, if you're a white person and you, you hear talk, people talking about the talk, what you think is that it's a talk about the birds and the bees. That's, that's what I always thought the talk was. But if you are a black family with black children, you know that the talk is a different kind of talk. It's, it's the talk where you have to explain to your children how they may be treated differently because of the color of their skin and how to handle it in a situation if they're ever pulled over or if they're ever in, in a situation where they have to defend themselves. They need to be quiet. They need to de-escalate the situation. This is the, that's the talk. This has been a tradition, a terrible tradition, for black families for generations, nothing new. But here's the thing, I didn't know anything about that that talk until a couple years ago. I would have never been able to relate to that. I would have never understood that until I learned about that. It pains me I didn't know, but it wasn't my experience. And so I sorrow now with those who have to give their children the talk. I am so sorry if that is you today, if that's you online. I am sorry that that's part of your experience. I want to lament with you about that. I want to lament with you about that. So we need to be like God and embrace one another's laments. And there are many, many other laments, many other laments of other people groups, other races, other, other ethnicities, other, other cultures. There's so much that we can learn about one another and when we can, then we can enter into one another's lament and be like, God, that's what I wanna do. I don't know about you, but that's what I wanna do. <laughs> and I know we do, I know we do as a church. This is where we want to have the softening of the heart of God. So let's talk a little bit more about lament. The other thing that happens when we start to lament is it leads to repentance, our own repentance. Um, weeping with those who weep may mean that we own part of the sorrow. So it may include lamenting of my own sins, which may have harmed someone or caused pain to someone else. You know, if we're honest, most of us are guilty of either telling or laughing at ethnic jokes that kind of poke fun at different, different people groups. Most of us, many of us may have an an experience of having, you know, made crude comments or objectifying comments about a person of the other sex, the other gender. Maybe many of us have have neglected to help a disabled person, a poor person, or someone who needs our help. We, we, maybe we bullied someone or we've watched as someone else bullied someone. These are sins that we need to ask the Lord to convict us of, just to point out to us so that we can repent, so we can personally repent. We also know we all operate with certain biases. We tend to prefer people like us. All of that. But lamenting may also include the confessing of the sins of our people or our churches or our world that have led to the injustice and suffering. That's part of the confession and the repentance that we want to take on. There's some interesting examples in the Bible of people who have confessed and repented for sins that they didn't commit. It's really interesting. But there's a lot of examples of it. One good example is Nehemiah. It says that God's people in this story of Nehemiah, God's people had been exiled. They had been sent off to Babylon, as we know. But then they had to come back, and they got to come back to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was destroyed. All right, The temple was destroyed. And so, interestingly, this is um, what it says. Nehemiah was, of course, not personally responsible for that. By all accounts, he's shown as a godly man, as a man after God's heart. And so... um, You know he wasn't responsible for it, but listen to how he speaks in Nehemiah one. This is so fascinating. Nehemiah one, three to seven. He says, "They, Nehemiah's brother and the other men, said to me, Nehemiah. This is him speaking. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept." For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps this covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And then here he says it, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave to your servant Moses. So do you hear, first of all, the lament, right? He's not afraid to lament. He sits down. He weeps. He cries. He's, he's so heartbroken over what has happened. But then, secondly, this is so interesting to me, he didn't spe- while he didn't specifically sin against the Lord, he repents of the sins of the Israelites before him, including himself in the sin. Fascinating. Including himself in the get, he's he's touching on generational sin here, right? My father's family came down to me. He's realizing that what's gone before has affected him and his people, and he's just taking he's taking responsibility for it. He's saying it stops here. I'm going to take responsibility for it right now. This has a name. This is called identificational repentance. It's repentance. It's when someone, often it's a leader sometimes it's someone who has either been positively or negatively affected by the sins of others will we'll, we'll shoulder it. Will say, I'm going, to, I'm going to repent on behalf of that sin and, and start to make things right, do a reconciliation right now. I'm gonna, it's going to stop here. Moses did it. David did it. Jeremiah. Daniel. All of them godly leaders. All righteous before God and yet who prayed to the Lord, we have sinned and done wrong. Forgive us. Powerful healing. You know, it's something we have seen in our current world as well. Certainly, um, we have current examples of identificational repentance. Even back in 1995, the Southern Baptist Convention renounced racism and apologized to the African American community for its history of supporting slavery and advancing segregation. Obviously, nobody currently in the Southern Baptist Convention had ever owned a slave or would ever think about it, but they said this happened under our, our roof, under our watch, and so we're going to repent for that. We're going to confess it and repent for that and make, start to make things right. Even in the business world, you understand this. If you are a CEO of a company and you take it over and you find out that the, your product has caused birth defects or something else like that going on, you have to take responsibility for it. It doesn't matter that you weren't the one, the CEO at the time it happened, you have to take responsibility for it. You have to make amends, you have to repent for it, confess it, and then, and then turn, right? Turn so that we don't do it again. So this is a biblical pattern for righting wrongs here. It doesn't just extend to to this topic of today of lament, but this is a biblical pattern that you could use actually in your own family. You can use it with your friends. You can use it in churches, and certainly um, companies and, and countries can do it. Whether somebody did something a long time ago or just did it yesterday, this is the pattern. You own it. You own it first by confessing and repenting of the wrong done, and if it was done by someone before you, but you're, it's under your roof, it's under your, in your family, in the name of your church or your, your family, you, you confess it and repent of it. And then you express sorrow, you lament, you weep with those who weep. You say, I'm so sorry this happened. How powerful is that when we are able to truly lament? Then we make amends for any harm which was done, and then we commit to change. We ask the question what can we do so this never happens again? So this is what lament where lament brings us. It brings us to reconciliation, it brings us to healing. Isn't that beautiful, beautiful thing? And so I want to conclude that then with the thought that lament finally, at the end of the day, leads us to shalom. It leads us to this biblical concept of shalom. Shalom's a Hebrew word that's translated means peace. But it's not just like peace, we're not at war, but it's, it's, it's fulfillment and contentment. It's tranquility. It is thriving. It's flourishing. That's what, that's what shalom is. It's how God created us to be. It's how we are able to function the way God wanted us to be. And it's not just like a ceasefire in a war or just stop fighting. No, it's actually reconciliation, it's forgiveness, it's repentance, it's all of that. It's flourishing as we're meant to flourish, it's as God meant us to be. It's a pretty powerful concept, shalom. Um, Most of you have heard the powerful priestly blessing in Numbers. It says this, number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's shalom. That's the picture of shalom that we, we want, that God desires for us. And as believers, you and I are meant to be people who bring shalom. We are people of the kingdom, right? Amen? Are we people of the kingdom? Amen. We want the kingdom to be here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed that. And that's bringing shalom. That brings shalom into not only our personal heart, in our families, in our church, and in the world. It's, our, it's what God has kind of purposed us to do is to be bringers of shalom, and it's not just a, a surface peace, but it's a deep peace. And I would say to you this morning, you don't get that deep shalom until you've lamented with each other, until we've, we've hurt with one another, and we even even understood and listened to where people are coming from. We need to have mourned for the things that prevent shalom in our communities. Even if we weren't the ones directly responsible for it, we just we enter into others' pain. That is... That's shalom, that's bringing peace. Until we've repented and forgiven, I don't think that we can have shalom. And so we know today, of course, there are lots and lots of areas in our world. Some, some of them touch our churches. Most of them touch our churches in some way or form or another. Certainly they affect our country and our world. Many, many places which lack shalom, right? There's still racism, there's still mistreatment of women all over the world, misogyny. There's still poverty. There's abortion. There is lack of access for people with disabilities or people with mental illnesses. There are so many things. There are, there are um, immigrants coming in and, and struggling, the refugees struggling to come in. We have so many places in which there is such a lack of shalom, such a, so much pain. And some of it you have personally experienced in this room, or maybe your family members have, and some of, us, some of it you haven't experienced at all. And that's why we, we want to listen to one another. That's why we want to learn together. See, we, the list goes on and on. But Lord, we want shalom. We want to see your, your flourishing for all of God's people, whether here in this place or on the world. We want to see that flourishing to have the kingdom here on earth as the kingdom is in heaven. And so as God's people, may we commit to bring shalom to tearing down every wall, to speaking out against injustices, to listening and learning, to letting our hearts be touched by the Lord and, and changed and moved for, for, for those that to stand against evil in all of its forms. May we be that people who bring shalom. Amen? I want to be that people today. And so when this happens, when shalom comes in our churches, in our world, and our communities, that way we can be part of a world part of a world in which people have enough to eat, in which people can make a living for themselves, where people don't have to worry about walking down the street and being attacked, where, where black men don't have to worry about being stopped by a police officer, what might happen, where, where refugees can come in and be, and be welcomed and, and find a new life here in our country. These are all ways in which God wants to bring a flourishing into our world, and you and I can be part of that. We can be part of it, starting with lament just to feel just to hear this is the dream this is God's positive vision of a world that's flourishing the way he created it to be this is what his heart is and so part of this this message today is just to get our hearts to 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 open up to how God feels and how he is and so the unlikely place to start with the bringing of shalom is lament and um, so this morning we're going to do something different. I want to give you an opportunity to just experience some lament, to be able to have a moment to ponder and to listen to the hear and to think and, and to pray and to allow the Lord to just move on our hearts about all, many of these issues. And so what we are doing today, and, and if you're visiting for the first time, we don't do this all the time. This is a very un, kind of unusual thing, but I felt it fit with this whole uh, idea of lament. We shouldn't be just talking about it. We should do it a little bit. And so we have set up for you six stations around the room, and each station is another issue in our world, an area of injustice in our world in many cases, where we can lament. We can simply walk alongside those who are struggling in that area and we can lament. And so at every station, there's a word cloud that kind of represents you know, what that is about. Not every word in the word cloud is a negative thing, but it's associated with that particular injustice or, or trial or challenge in our world. There's also prayers of repentance On the stage, or or, I'm sorry, prayers of lament on the on the on the uh, table is a lament. This is what we lament, God. This is what we we come alongside those who are struggling here, and we lament these things. And then on the other side is a prayer of blessing and shalom. So it's a way of praying blessing and shalom upon each person who's affected in this issue. Children, I know children are here today because it's fifth Sunday, and you know we recognize, as Susan said uh, this morning. You're not unaware of all these things happening in our world. You may not get it on the same level as a grown-up does, but you get it. You know it's there. You know there's troubles. You know there's problems. And so we wanted you to pray with us. And so we've also created a children's page on each one. Um, It's marked off by the children's logo. And so sitting on the table is a children's page that you can pray those prayers as a child and pray for people who are hurting. There's people all over our world who could use your prayers. I also want to just say before I release you to this, we're going to take about 10 minutes of the service. I'm going to actually ask Dottie to come up and and get ready on the guitar. She's just going to play a little background music. We're just going to take 10 minutes, and then we're going to come back. I'm going to finish up just a couple minutes. We'll sing a song. So um, I want to just allow you a moment to just have this time with the stations. Um, You may find that some of them are too hard for you to to think about. Maybe it's something that you have personally experienced, something that you've had a lot of pain in your own life surrounding. And so I just invite you to just skip that station. <laughs> this is not meant to be tortured. This is meant to be um, an experience for us to simply enter in and to, li- and to listen and to hear and to, and, to, and to lament with others. So there's plenty of stations. You will not get through them all in 10 minutes. I don't mean for you to rush and check them all off your, your list. Just pick a couple that speak to you. Um, they're going to stay up. We're going to keep them up after service. We're going to keep them up all week and into next Sunday so that if you would like to spend all the time, you can even come in during the week. Um, but I want to give you a moment to lament, to take this month. If, for whatever reason, you don't feel comfortable getting up and moving around, there is a handout on the two low tables here, which has the same prayers on it. And online, you should have a downloadable PDF as well um, of the prayers. And so I just want let's, to, let's just take a moment and prepare our hearts lord prepare our hearts to lament help us to hear and feel your heart for those who are struggling lord we want to have our hearts softened and we want to lament with our brothers and sisters throughout the world and even in this place in jesus name amen so you're you're dismissed to just go around and then come back i'll call you back to your seats in about 10 minutes your heart, I hope it would awaken in me and you compassion and and love and an ability to lament with one another. We're on a journey here together. Um, It starts with justice and knowing God's heart for justice and knowing that he cares about issues of injustice and then it, it moves on to welcoming diversity, listening to other voices, listening to people with different experiences than we have and learning from them and loving them and then it moves on to lamenting with one another to weeping with those who weep and feeling for those who are in suffering And so as I said before we will leave the stations up you're so welcome after the service to come up and and spend some more time on those take a handout home with you and we'll have them up all week. So you could come in if you want to spend a time during the week. Just call the office. So we make sure we're open. But if you want to just be able to spend your own time alone here in the sanctuary and go through it, we'd, we're happy to have you do that. So the, the church is is your your building. It's your it's your house. So um, feel free to do that. I encourage you also this week to take one of the issues the the areas of injustice people groups that kind of spoke to you and just begin to just meditate on that this week begin to pray for them pray for um, your heart to continue to be moved uh, ways in which you can um, be a person who brings shalom a way that you can be a bringer of shalom into our world today Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this time together. I thank you um, thank you for this church, Lord, who entered into this experience, Lord. Um, it's not necessarily an upper, Lord, but we want to just say to you this morning that we, re- we, we have hope, Lord. We are hopeful people. We're kingdom people. So we do believe that you can have your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what you designed for us. That's what you desired for us to do. So we, we want to stand in that today. And we want to say we can be a people who will bring shalom. And so we just pray in hopefulness. Lord, we release any heaviness maybe that's on our heart right now. Or we just want to release it to your, to your throne, Lord, at your feet. God, because you walk with us, you weep with us. We don't handle this alone. We don't bear it alone. And I pray for anyone in this room who has struggled under any of these injustices that we've just been praying about. I just pray a blessing on you today, that you are beloved. You are part of our family. We are just so thankful for every one of you. And may we be agents of shalom to you. And may you be an agent of shalom to to me. So we just thank you, Lord, for moving in our hearts today. Help us to build our life around you, Lord. And on your heart, the way you are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.